0: and Welcome to episode 600 of the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. I am your classic or maybe not so classic writer, host, and producer, Derek M. Cook. Welcome to the show. I'm excited to have you here. It's episode 600, and I wanted to do something special to celebrate episode 600, and we did that by going live on Twitch the other day. Yes, we have a Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash monsterkidradio. So I used to show movies on there quite a bit. Kind of fell off, kind of doing a slow reboot. Stay tuned. If you're on Twitch, if you're a Twitch user, please consider at least following the channel, if not flat out subscribing, because in January, I hope to bring some movies back and start doing more than just doing these surprise sessions uh, that double as recordings for the podcast of the week. I had a grand time with the twitch experience basically we did an ask me or excuse me ask d anything talked about monster kid radio my history with monster movies rapping, uh, just all sorts of things came up <laughs> and it was a lot of fun so i'm going to take that completely unedited audio and play it for you if you missed it on twitch now the audio does begin with me uh Realizing that I had been talking for maybe three or four minutes without the microphone being on. I only knew that because Tom Doffel, who is a dear friend of the show, reached out to me and said, hey, dude, you've got no audio. So when you start hearing me asking if Tom is still on the line, you know you're in that part of the show. Now, what you didn't get if you tuned in on Twitch yesterday or Wednesday or whenever you're listening to this is Kenny's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. We have a separate segment from Kenny. Now, he does make an appearance in episode 600 with a little segment, but he also has his own Famous Monsters of Filmland segment, plus Mark Matsky's Beta Capsule review, which I think we're going to get into now.
1: Santa Claus conquers the Martians. Sets up a fantastic automatic toy factory on Mars. The Martian leader battles the wicked Boulder in a desperate effort to save Santa, the wise man of Mars, nine hundred years old. The Battle of the Toys, when Martian kids and Earth kids join Santa to battle the bad guys of Mars. For real space age fun, you'll be out of this world when Santa Claus conquers the Martians.
2: Live from the land of light in Nebula M78, home of the mighty Ultra Heroes. It's Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review. The Terrestrial Defense Force develops a long range rocket called the Scorpion and assigns Dan and Soga to its maiden voyage. But when an outside force overrides the Scorpion's autopilot system, it takes them to the nightmare of Planet 4 in the 43rd episode of Subaraya Productions' Ultra 7. Despite Soga's astrologically-based premonitions of disaster, he agrees to the mission and is placed under 20 days of suspended animation along with Dan. That's when an unknown power draws them off course and they awaken on an oxygen-rich planet which at first seems much like Earth. However, they are quickly drawn into a nightmare scenario in which robots rule, humans are executed on television, and a central computer makes all the decisions. The robot leader of Planet Four announces an invasion of Earth is imminent, since they have discovered a way to harvest human bodies as power sources. The oppressed people of Planet Four risk their lives to help Dan and Soga escape, and if they fail, the Earth is destined a dystopian future. The Nightmare of Planet Four is a disturbing and dark installment of Ultra 7. The show has implemented fairly graphic violence before, but this story is particularly brutal, showing a child being lashed with a riding crop, a woman being slapped around by her robot master, numerous scenes of people being mowed down by gunfire, and our heroes escaping in a truck full of corpses. It's quite a departure from the mostly playful ethos of the preceding Ultraman series, and each viewer is left to determine whether that's good or bad. Either way, this stands as a memorable work of science fiction that in some ways feels dangerously close to becoming science fact. For Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review, this is Mark Manske reporting.
3: attention, please. I have been asked to explore the serious side of Alfred Hitchcock. Very likely, I suspect, because I am Alfred Hitchcock. I have chosen to do this through the following serious statement. I want you to see psycho, a motion picture, exactly the way I originally made it, uncut, with every scene intact especially the famous shower bath scene, which the TV version did not dare show. This occurs 44 minutes from the start of Psycho. Watch for it. And remember, no one will be admitted to see Psycho except from the very beginning. I now leave you with this final serious message. Suggested for mature audiences. This is
1: the greatest moment of your lives. There it is. Directly ahead, a body of land uplifted by volcanic eruption a hundred million
4: years ago. The land where monsters lived. Yes, you're heading out of this world by jet airliner, by hydroplane, by helicopter, into the wildest of all jungles, into the forbidding headwaters of the Amazon. With Michael Rennie, Jill St. John, David Hedison, Claude Rains, Fernando Lamas and Frosty the Poodle as they discover a primitive world exactly the way it was at the dawn of time in the most fantastic of adventure stories. For me, this story
1: started three years ago when Burton White came to me. He told me of how in some Indian village out here in the jungle, he'd met a fever-stricken white man who
4: babbled on about a plateau with monsters and diamonds. Here is the most amazing of all possible worlds. You'll see man-eating vines that lure their prey. Spiders as tall as trees. (coughs) hair raising attack by prehistoric monsters. (coughs) Battle of the Titans to the death. The most terrible creatures of destruction that ever walked the earth. flee through grotesque underground mazes from cannibals who demand human sacrifice. Sacrifice? Yeah, the place they undoubtedly plan to kill you. No, not me, please, no. You'll be among the first mortals to cross the graveyard of the dam. You'll scale the incredible wall of death. You'll face the terrors of the cave of fire with its lake of molten lava its fabulous Pyramid of Diamonds, and you'll be stunned by the horrifying 100-foot fire monster that guards a king's ransom
5: in treasure. Hello there, Monster MonsterKid Radioheads. This is Kenny with a look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. Today's episode is number 600, and Derek will be presenting a live recording of Questions and Answers. So for today's segment, I have pulled some interesting questions and answers found in the long-running FM column, Professor Grubeard. Let's jump right in. First, this question from Eleanor in Wisconsin. Is it true that the movie Psycho was based upon a true story? I remember reading someplace that it was, although I find it a bit hard to believe. Answer. Truth, as they say, is often stranger and more difficult to believe than fiction. Robert Block, author of the novel Psycho, on which the film was based, was inspired to write his macabre masterpiece after reading a newspaper article concerning vicious murders in a small town. What interested him the most was the fact that the killer went undetected for so long. All the grisly and gory details, however, came from the darkest depths of the imagination of Mr. Block. Here's one from Roy in Pennsylvania. Who was the man in the Cyclops costume in the film Seventh Voyage of Sinbad? Answer. I hope you're pulling our legs, Roy. Today it is common knowledge that the Cyclops and the other creatures in Seventh Voyage of Sinbad are actually miniature puppets designed by special effects genius Ray Harryhausen. These models are positioned and photographed one frame at a time. When the final film is run through the projector, they appear to be moving by themselves. In a similar vein, we have this one from Buddy in New York. Were the creatures in the horror of Party Beach animated? They were very realistic. Hardly, Buddy. They were merely men inside monster suits. Mark from New York asked our next question. Why is Claude Rains often grouped together with horror performers? Other than The Invisible Man and Phantom of the Opera, what else has he appeared in? Rains has been considered by many to be one of Hollywood's most brilliant actors. In the fantasy film field, he has played Professor Challenger in The Color Lost World, Larry Talbot's father in The Wolfman, and fought the Battle of the Worlds. Gail from New York had this query. I have heard that Vincent Price has written a cookbook. I couldn't believe it. Is it really true? Answer: Absolutely true, Gail. Mr. Price is certainly a man of many talents. In addition to being a great actor, he is also a famous art collector, and he happens to be a gourmet cook. Here is one from Patty in California. I have recently visited the grave of Bela Lugosi, and found on his headstone this inscription. Beloved Father, could you please tell me his wife's name, the number of children he had, and their names? I've been a fan of his for a long time, and never even knew that he was married. Answer Three strikes and you're out, Patty. Mr. Lugosi was married three times, first to Beatrice Weeks in 1924, then, after divorce, he married Lillian Arch in 1933. Lugosi was divorced again 20 years later and married Hope Leninger in 1955, a year before his tragic death. Bella Lugosi Jr., his only son, was born during his second marriage. Edward had this follow-up. In your column in issue 84, you stated that the great Bela Lugosi had three wives. This would seem to disagree with the article, Lugosi's Haunted House, FM 59, which implies that he had four wives. Please explain. Even an old graybeard like Grubeard can make a mistake. I must have been asleep when I said Lugosi was married three times. The truth is, he was married five times in all. Professor Grubeard wasn't perfect but he wasn't too proud to admit his mistake. Happy 600, Derek. It has been a fun ride. Looking forward to the next 2,000 or so. That is all for this week's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. We will have more next time. For MKR, this is Kenny saying adios.
6: journey to a magical time when heroes and demons battle for the golden treasures and the human spoils of forgotten kingdoms. (coughs) Thrilled with the story of a legendary superhero who fights through all the torments of hell to save the woman he loves from the world's most powerful sorcerer. This is Sinbad's greatest adventure. The Seventh Voyage of Sinbad. The sadistic magician shrinks the beautiful princess to the size of a tiny doll. Only Sinbad can save her. See the living skeleton, the attack of the two-headed bird, the dance of the deadly cobra woman, the spectacular battle between the one-eyed cyclops and the fire-breathing dragon. See the seventh voyage of Sinbad in the breathtaking motion picture miracle of Dinarama. The seventh voyage of Sinbad from Columbia Pictures, rated G, general audiences.
7: Each set twists to the big beat sound of the Delairs, swinging out with six rocking hits. While the cycle gangs burn up the road and strong arm their way into the party with fists flying. While teenagers prepare for a secluded slumber party, terror strikes from the bottom of the sea. An invasion of ghoulish atomic beasts who live off human blood.
4: living dead. They're zombies.
7: Again and again the fiendish monsters struck like nothing that ever stalked this earth. An entire city in the throes of panic and the mercy of demons from the dead.
0: I just got the message. Oh, <laughs> I'm this whole time I've been doing this whole pitch, no audio. Oh, <laughs> uh, Tom, are you still there? To hang up. <laughs> well, I hope that was fun for everybody watching. Um, basically, uh, my microphone didn't get turned back on. So, anyway. Let's start over. Hi, welcome to Monster Kid Radio. It's the Twitch. The bleh, bleh. it's the Twitch stream. Twitch.tv/MonsterKidRadio. It's episode 600 of the podcast. I'm your writer, host, producer, Derek M. Cook, and I just now remembered to uh, activate the microphone. I hope you can hear me now. Uh, big thanks to Dom Doffel, Doctor Doffelstein. Um, Tom's magical, man. He's the guy who helps build the machine around here and keeps it running. And apparently he's also helping out with the stream. So anyway, hi. Welcome to what we're doing here. So I wanted to let people know what we're doing here. I had a lot of fun doing something similar last week with the Rally Award ballot uh, announcement. So I wanted to do that again this week, especially since it's episode 600. It's the 600th episode of Monster Kid Radio. And I've been doing this for almost every single episode. Of course, I had a couple of fill-in. Spots with Steve Turek helping out when I was moving, or most recently when I was sick. And of course, all the amazing segments like Professor Green and Dr. Tung, you know, Mark. Uh, we had Mark Matzke. Uh, we have Kenny. Uh, just everybody who's ever contributed to the show. It's been awesome. All the wonderful guests, of course, as well. And you, dear viewer slash listener, you're the most important part of this whole thing, right? I do say slash listener because the audio from this is going to be pulled off and put into the podcast. that goes out. Um, probably Thursday night after I get off work. So you're going to get the raw audio that I'm recording right now as the podcast. So if you weren't able to join us live on Twitch, you're at least going to get the audio that way. I don't know if I'm going to do this every single time I do a live bit on Twitch. I enjoy doing the live bits on Twitch. I did have somebody ask me about watching the video later after we did last week's video on Twitch. And um, what, what I told them, I, I kind of know is antithetical to the day and age that we live in now. But uh, after the recording that we did last week with Steve Sullivan, where we announced the Rally Award nominations, I did loop that video for a little while. But then I pulled it and then started playing a movie instead. The audio you can still get on the podcast at monsterkidradio.net. But that's it. You know, I'm appointment television man. Okay, maybe not. But. Back in the day, you know, before streaming and all that, you had to watch something when it was on. And that was that, man. And uh, that's kind of how I'm viewing what I'm doing right now on Twitch. Maybe it's not good for views. Maybe it's not good for retention or gaining an audience. But it makes it easier on me anyway because it means I don't have to schedule more stuff. And, and do all the behind-the-scenes stuff. Because I've been doing this massively slow reboot ever since I got sick, sick with COVID. I'm still not up to and running 100% with everything that I want to be doing. But you know, we'll see how things go. Evolution is part of, of life, and I don't know where I'm going with this now. Let's talk about monsters, or at least Monster Kid Radio. Welcome to the show, everybody. <laughs> so, here's uh what we're doing with the show. Uh This is an Ask D Anything, and I mean anything. You want to talk about monster movies? Cool. Hopefully, we can keep it relatively on topic, but You know what? I didn't say ask Monster Kid Radio anything. I said ask D. Ask me anything. So head over to twitch.tv slash Radio, and you'll be able to participate in the chat. Okay, let's see here. Let's dive into the chat right now. Okay, I'm going to... Skip most of the <laughs> Derek no audio no audio, no audio, no audio. okay, let's skip all that. 600 is a lot. that's true. Congratulations D. Thank you very much. Happy 600. Uh, the only podcast that you listen to that has more than 600 episodes is Garrett's geeks and excuse me Garrett's games and geekiness at 800 plus episodes. I'm not familiar with that podcast. So I'll have to give it a listen. Uh, let's see appointment TV. Not heard it called that before. Yeah, that's pretty much.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, let's see. Back in the day, you had TV guide. Yeah, you know what? In the end, I'm not going to be able to keep everybody happy. I'll do the best that I can for the most people. Um until I have a bigger team around me and meaning more than just me who can really kind of help me produce and get schedules done and all that, I'll do the best that I can. Uh, Nice shirt. Okay, let's talk about the shirt. I was going to pitch the shirt later, but we'll talk about it now. So, uh, Crestwood House books. Uh, I've talked about monster books on the show before. Crestwood House books were very important to me. I pulled a couple off my shelf. Uh, These books you found in the kids section of the library. They were sent specifically to libraries. Uh, There was a library display or Sandy at one point, and even an audio cassette. Not really sure what that was. Uh, I've never heard it. I'd love to hear it. I'd love to get my hands on that cardboard standee. I know a few still exist in the wild. Anyway, I've got a handful of these. You can find them in the aftermarket now. They're usually not on the library bookshelves anymore. Usually in the hands of collectors. I've got a handful of them. I don't have a complete run. I'd love a complete run. I know at least one of you have a complete run. The Godzilla book is super expensive for some reason or other. But I wanted to celebrate these books. I wanted to celebrate my love for the monsters, and that these books are what got me into it. So, I designed a new shirt using uh, iconography from the Crest House uh, Books uh, collection of monster books. So, it's a Hawaiian style shirt, same manufacturer that the Monster Kid Radio monster collage shirt. And uh, what I did is I took scans of all the covers as high quality as I could make them, ran them through some AI generators, kind of tweaked the colors a little bit to make them all pretty consistent. And then the back of these books looks like this. So does the back of the t-shirt. I actually went and found out where this particular promo still came from. Side note, the um, pictures in these books, most of them came from the collection of Forrest J. Ackerman. Uh, So I went and I found where this image came from. And I had to extend, I cleaned it up, make it look better, uh, build out the rest of the hands because they're cut off here, as you can see. And then I also had to create uh, more of the waist and a little bit of the legs because the dimensions of the back of the book, surprisingly, are not the dimensions of of the back of a Hawaiian shirt. So you have um, an opportunity to buy one of these shirts, uh, promoting these books, Hawaiian style shirts. They go from extra small up to like, I can vouch for 5X. Supposedly, they can go up higher than that. Um, I'm wearing a 5X. I'm quite comfortable in it. Um, And it's the same price as the previous shirt, $35. And do I still have the graphic that I ran last week for that? Let's find out. There it is. I'm going to let that play on the screen for a second while I go and get some emails and, and stuff together here and catch up in the chat. While that's, while that's up on the screen, uh, got a question from the Doff. What was the first movie or show you saw that made me a monster kid? It's these books, man. These books are what did it for me. I'm going to pull that off the screen. I'll put that up again here later. Uh, But these books are what did it for me. I stumbled across these books uh, in the library in grade school. And checked them out and read them religiously, including the Godzilla one. Uh, Some of the books, like Creature from the Black Lagoon, tell the story of the film, pretty much. Do they tap into the sequels at all? I don't remember. But then they talk a little bit about the making of the movie as well. Of course, it's written for a very young audience. Uh, But bottom line is, as I read these books, especially the Universal ones, even back then I was able to kind of differentiate between the Universal movies and the other films and i knew the stories of dracula frankenstein the wolfman frankenstein meets the wolfman son of dracula all that stuff up to and including abbott and costello meet frankenstein so i knew the stories of the movies before i saw any of them of the movies that i first saw or of the movies that i saw my first one was abbott and costello meet frankenstein so basically the last movie in the classic universal horror cycle i saw it across the street at my best friend's house at the time his name was bobby cisneros um i was a military kid lived on malmstrom excuse me this was at mccord air force base was it mccord yeah in uh, Tacoma, washington area and across the street it was i was over there playing and it came on tv and bobby and his dad started watching it and i sat down to watch it with them. and i must have drove his dad crazy and maybe even Bobby, too, because as the movie's playing, I started relaying the stories of how they all got to that point. What did Dracula do to get to that point? How did the Wolfman get there? How did the Frank something? Because I knew the stories from the books. So that, that's what turned me into a monster kid. And I've had an appreciation for the classics ever since. I've drifted away off and on over the years, but they've always been there. They've always been present. And as soon as I turn around and I need my classic monster fix, they're there waiting for me. They're they're incredibly patient um, and ready for me with open arms or something. Let's see. Has my top few movies changed since I started the show? Yes. Yes. Yes, they have. Uh, Because when I first started the show, and I've been pretty honest about this, there are still some blind spots for me. Kaiju films in particular. I didn't really become a hardcore kaiju fan until I got to see a screening of King Kong versus Godzilla. Or is it Godzilla versus King Kong? I always get it mixed up. Um, but I saw that at the Hollywood Theater uh, in the Portland Oregon area up in Portland. Scott Morris was in town and we went to go see it. It was hosted by Kyle Young to the late lamented Kaiju cast and it was a blast. And of course, <laughs> the fact that it played music from this movie probably made it an easier sell for me. It was the Universal. God, it was the American cut. Um, and I just fell in love, man. And I just went on a deep dive and a tear and watched all the Godzilla movies. I had vague memories of watching the American Godzilla King of the Monsters at some point and King Kong escapes in Arizona, visiting my grandparents one summer. I remember it coming on TV, but I couldn't have told you anything about it other than I knew what mechanic kong looked like. Uh, ever since then, though, I've become a huge fan Uh, And it was through Kyle's efforts at the Kaiju cast that I became an Ultraman fan as well. And now I'd say I'm a bigger Ultraman fan than I am Godzilla fan, to be completely honest. Uh, I love Godzilla, don't get me wrong. But as is pretty typical with me when I do find something that I like a franchise with multiple options and characters and such, whether it's a film franchise or comic books or whatever, I typically end up being drawn toward the more oddball ones, the underdog ones, and I don't know why. I kind of do know why that is. It's because I want to have a little bit more ownership of them, and I don't feel like I have to share something like Varan the Unbelievable with as many people as I would have to share Godzilla with, if Godzilla were my favorite. Um, That's why my favorite comic book character is the Jack of Hearts from Marvel, which I know has very few fans, but it means that my portion of the pie of Ownership of the fandom of that character is bigger because I'm sharing it with fewer people Anyway Uh, let's see here, but yeah, my top few movies have, have definitely changed since I started the show um the Man Creature was always tops. That's always going to be tops for me Um, i've discovered more john agar films since I started the show I always loved john agar, but I hadn't watched all of his stuff I really, really like Night Fright. <laughs> the, the transfer that's out there is awful. And I hope a new print or a print is out there somewhere and someday somebody will release it. But um, I like Night Fright quite a bit. Destination Inner Space was a discovery. And that actually probably uh, leads into a question from Tom Garganus. What's the most fantastic movie discovery so far? Destination Inner Space. What an amazing monster suit. That monster design. hmm so good. So good. And I have Steve Sullivan, who's in the chat right now, um, to thank for that. So good. So good. Um, there's a purple book, Crestwood, of Revenge of the Creature. That's true. So I don't have any of them. But Crestwood House put out a second series, a second wave of monster books, uh, in a purple trade dress. And there were like more sequels and more uh, off the beaten path ish monster movies. They even did a series of cryptid books. I think I've got around here somewhere one about the Loch Ness monster from them. And it looks just like this. Uh, The trade dress, the coloring is a little bit different, but it's the same font. It's pretty cool. How about a film that disappointed me after hearing about it a lot? I mentioned this the other, uh, on a previous episode just recently. And I didn't watch it for the first time because of the podcast, I don't think. But... Dr. Fibes really kind of leaves me cold. I love Vincent Price, man. I really do. But the abominable Dr. Fibes just doesn't do much for me. Uh, the sequel does a little bit more for me, but not much. So those, those are the ones that probably disappoint me the most. How do I feel about the newer MonsterVerse films in comparison to the classic Kaiju? Um, I like the classic Kaiju better. I was talking with uh, my fiance Beth about this the other day. Uh, when we were discussing, of all things, Indiana Jones. And somehow the conversation evolved to um, not just talk about Indiana Jones, but like animated series, and and I think I threw in comic books as well. As much as I love kaiju films, I don't read a lot of kaiju comics. Um, as much as I was a Star Wars fanatic... Growing up, I have never watched any of the animated shows, the newer animated shows. The last animated Star Wars show I watched was uh, probably an episode of Star Wars Droids or Ewoks when I was a kid. And part of that is me looking at a kaiju cartoon or a comic book or whatever and not getting the same rush that I get when I see it on screen. When I see it on screen and I know it's a man in a suit, part of my brain knows it's a man in a suit, and that the models were all built by some dudes, and it was real for a fleeting moment. It was real. The Monsterverse, the Monsterverse films are so great. As uh, like theme park rides, they're fun, they're bombastic. There is a moment in the first Godzilla movie of that particular run where I uh, (laughs) kind of lost my mind there for a second because I was so into it. But to me, they don't have the rewatchability of the other movies. There's something about knowing that there was somebody on screen doing it for real, and they had to figure out how to do it for real, whether it's an Indiana Jones movie with live stunts or a dude in a suit in a Godzilla movie versus a bunch of pixels. And that's not to say CGI doesn't have its place. There's some amazing stuff happening computer graphics-wise. I just saw Avatar 2 the other day, and, you know, it's, it's a visual treat. But I like knowing that there were people making it. And I think that makes it more accessible for me. All right, let's see here. You love the Fives films? I'm, I'm glad, and you know, I'm glad. I know a lot of people love the Dr. Fives films. They just don't do much for me. And yeah, I just, I don't know. I know Vincent Price is good as a villain. But his performance in the Fives films and uh, Theater of Blood, they make me uncomfortable. In a way that Witchfinder General doesn't. Which is weird, because he's terrible in Witchfinder General. He's a bad man in Witchfinder General. Theater of Blood, because he kills some, kills some dogs. But uh, not just, it's just something about it. How's Wednesday? She's good. Um, She's in the other room, sleeping. Uh, she has found a nice little nest in my on my bed, in the comforter, in the sheets. That's where she's at. Uh, how are you, Beth? Well, that's for Beth, not for me. Uh, uh. I'm an odd man out too. my favorite William Castle film is 13 ghosts. I love 13 ghosts. 13 ghosts is fantastic. It's, it's probably if I had to say top three favorite William Castle films, it'd be in the top three. And Beth is in the chat. I love that woman. She's going to be my wife someday soon, sometime next year. Um, I can't wait. I love her to death. I love her to Beth. Ah, no. Nah. Oh, Tom loves her too. You need to see Shin Ultraman. I need to see Shin Ultraman soon. That's coming out statewide, stateside in January, right? You know, I want to go back to um, vibes some more. Because Kenny just said he loves vibes, the production design, music, and black sense of humor. It's so 70s and 20s at the same time. I like the production design of it. I think it looks cool. I think it looks really cool. Just the story leaves me flat. The character leaves me flat, but, you know. Uh, Let's see. We need to see Shin Ultraman. It sounds like a lot of us need to see it. I'm really looking forward to seeing it. really looking forward to seeing Shin Ultraman. I've heard good things. Uh, Some people who have been on the show in the past have seen it. And... I've heard wonderful things about it. So Shin Ultraman's on the list. Looks like uh, the Doff is going to make it happen. Vibes is a vibe. You either get it or you don't. That's true. (laughs) As a mom, I have to say, the trampoline sword fight's a very bad idea, but as a former gymnast and fencer, I'm willing to keep an open mind, uh, says Beth. And uh, yeah, there's that. So, you know what? Let's do this. I am going to play... Hey, okay, here we go. Hold on. Stop the presses, man. Here's another favorite thing that I found doing the podcast, and that's um, luchador films. Lucha movies, man. I had watched some of them before starting the show, but I fell in love, man, hardcore love with these movies uh, since doing the show on Lucha de Mayo. Mayo? Mayo. Yeah. Um... Doing the, the, the Santo films, the Blue Demon films. So what's my favorite Santo films? Well, this goes back to what I was saying a second ago about how I'm always drawn to the ones that are not the uber, uber popular ones. So my l- favorite luchador movies typically don't have Santo in them or Santo as a leading figure in them. I'm more of a Blue Demon guy and especially I'm a am a guy. Champions of Justice, I think, is my favorite luchador mo- um Kind of sort of a mad scientist movie. I love Champions of Justice quite a bit. Um, the Mummies of Guanajuato is fantastic. Um, that's some good stuff. Ah, yes, and you know the the Martian Invasion. And even though I just said what I said about Santo not being my favorite of the lobby cards that I have framed and on display in my office, one of them. It's a Santo film. I believe it's Santo versus the Blob. I'm not going to try to speak the Spanish because I'll get it wrong and offend somebody. Um, but yeah, Champions of Justice, man. That's that's my favorite. One of my absolute favorites. And it kind of started a little or series. Sort of. They're not super connected, but they're kind of connected after that. But I do like The Mummies of Guanajuato, and of course, Santo Blue Demon Against the Monsters is pretty darn cool, too. Okay, I've got some feedback. I don't know if I played this on the show before. Uh, If I did, I apologize for the repeat. If I didn't, I apologize for not getting to it sooner. Hopefully this will work.
8: Hey, Derek. Hey, group. Captain Billy here. Holland from the,
9: uh, south shore of Lake Erie. Remember, our lake ain't superior, but it is Erie. Um, yeah, you mentioned, uh, Mask of the, Mask of, uh, Mask of Fu tube, sorry. Um, yeah, oh, I just saw this. Maybe, uh, Jesus, October, probably September, August. I just saw it. I have the, uh, let's see, I hold have it right here in front. Oh, I didn't have it in front of me. The, uh, Hollywood Horror Collection, uh, came out in 2006. It had, um Oh, it had Dr. X on it, and The Return of Dr. X, and Mad Love, and Devil Doll, and uh, what else was on there? But anyway, it also had The Mask of Fu Manchu. I had never seen it before. Yes, the Hollywood Legends of Horror Collection from 2006. Uh, I had never seen uh, Mask of Fu Manchu before. Oh, man, was it exciting. I watched this movie. I got done. The first thing I thought was, Derek is going to love this movie. He's never seen it before. It is... It has got a lot of big, it uh, feels like a, a serial, kind of like, you know, all the excitement and action in a serial you'd get in about 90 minutes, about 70 minutes, so really good. I'm not going to say anything more about it. It's a lot of fun. Uh, now, uh, TCM alert for Halloween. Turner Classic Movies. There is a movie from 1953, Argentinian film called El Vampiro Negro. It is an Argentinian remake of Fritz Lang's M, you know, Peter Lorre, that one, um, I was listening to two separate podcasts. that had nothing to do. With one was Joe Dante's, and they both happened to mention it in the same week. So I started to go do a search uh, to see if I could find it online somewhere, and it came up that it was going to come up on Turner Classic Movies. It is October 30th. It will show at midnight, and then they're going to repeat it again at 10 a.m. So that's uh, Saturday night into Sunday morning midnight, and then again got 10 a.m. So, so if you have Turner Classic Movies, uh, it's supposed to be really good from the uh, two, uh, two people on two different shows that mentioned it. Uh, I guess it just was just found or restored this year, and it showed in uh, California and a few, uh, you know, repertory. You know, California has all the good, good movie theaters. So. And the real reason I called, and, of course, the elephant in the room I think needs to be addressed, is Rob Zombie's Monsters on Netflix. I liked it. I thought it was a lot of fun. It's a kid's movie. I mean... I don't know, I've, I'm, not on, I, I'm on Facebook, but I never go on there, so I don't know what the general reaction has been to the uh, monster, uh, monster Kid Club uh, audience. I don't know how everyone feels about it, but I liked it. I thought. Here's the thing, I, here's how to start the gate. Oh, my God, is it beautiful. Derek, you asked what kind of world, what monster movie world would you want to live in? This is the monster movie world I want to live in. Oh, my God, the, the sets, the makeup, the, uh, uh, the lighting... Oh, I just—it's like a fluorescent daydream. It's gorgeous.
8: I just—I thought all of that work was beautiful. One, two, three. I thought all the sets
9: were gorgeous. All the—I mean, like I said, I was amazed. This movie was made in Hungary, according to the credits. Um, and I don't know, like, I guess, I don't know what's going on over there, but in the cinematography, I thought, the, like I said, I loved it. I loved the way it looked. It was gorgeous. The script, Rob Zombie apparently takes sole credit for the script. It's not the mon- much movies I would have made. He got heavily into uh, how, I'm going to ruin part of the movie if they haven't seen it yet. He gets into, the whole beginning of the film is how Herman is actually created. I guess the the, the actual doctor that creates him is mentioned on the show. Again, I'm a fan, not a fanatic. I don't know all the details. Uh, So you get in the whole detail about how Herman was actually created. Uh, And then there's Lily and um, uh, Al Lewis's character, Grandpa. I can't remember his name. Um, But he, uh, um, I don't know. But anyway, because he's not called Grandpa yet because there is no Eddie yet. Because this is a story of how Herman and Lily meet. Um, but for what it is, I thought it was cute. I thought it was sweet. Is it, Other than two, maybe two jokes that were a little PG-13-ish possibly, this could play on the Disney Channel. This could play on Nickelodeon. This is a fine film. If you've got little kids, I don't think there's anything on there that an eight-year-old couldn't handle. Um, it's a lot of fun. And, oh, and for um, for Derek... There is an appearance by Uncle Gill. There is a montage sequence where they're dating, and Uncle Gill shows up for about thirty or forty-five seconds. There is a Revenge of the Creature poster, and I think a Creature Walks Among Us poster, and, and there's Uncle Gill in his full uh, his full overcoat, trench coat, and um, scarf and fedora for the, the outfit. So again, I liked it. I mean, this is the best script ever. No, I mean they go to the trouble of showing you how they find Spot. I think that was to threw that out, and you wouldn't have missed anything. I mean, it doesn't take up that much screen time, but. It's nitpicky. Again, if you're hesitant about watching this, again, I'm a fan of the show, not a fanatic. Given my choice I would I prefer the Adams family. But it's fine. I don't think it's no better or worse than any of the other remakes they've done in the last fifty years. So look, take a chance. If, if you've got Netflix already, throw it on. The worst thing you can do is shut it off. You don't have to watch the whole thing. But try it. I really I thought it was a lot of fun. So all Right, that's it, group. Thank you, Derek. Thank you for all you do. Talk to you later.
0: All right, so Captain Billy has a couple of other voicemails sitting here, and uh, well, we'll get into those here shortly, or, or at some point. Um, I still haven't watched The Munsters. Um, I had the opportunity to watch it before it was released on Netflix, and I never took it. And it just it didn't look like it was made for me. It, it looks pretty, I suppose, but I'll get to it at some point eventually. And then as far as Mask of Fu Manchu, I've been sitting on that. I'm not going to watch it yet, because I do want to get Adam. Uh, excuse me, Scott Glancy on the show to talk about it. Cause he's the one that brought it up and you know, we'll, we'll do it at some point. So, uh, like I said, we'll have, uh, more from captain Billy here in a little bit, but first let's see, uh, we got some more comments. The mask of men is a hoot and that's a great collection. Uh, yellow, yellow apparel is a little hard to take now, but it's great fun. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing about all these movies and, this is something that I talk about and I and I preach about these movies, that they're not just pieces of fiction. They are, in a way, mini documentaries showing us uh, the societal norms and mores and values uh, of the time and what was important, what was acceptable, what was believed of the time of their production. And right or wrong, it's there on screen. And if you can process that, good on you. And yeah, I'm pretty aware of a lot of the racial issues in a lot of the early films that I love. And and sexism is there, too. Misogyny. Not not good. Need to start a book club-style thing? Movie of the month? Watch it all and then come here and talk about it with Derek? Yeah, that'd be fun. That'd be fun. Let's uh, see about scheduling that. Uh-oh, big logo. Here we go again. I just meant to bring it up earlier. Another show idea. One Saturday night, we all sit down to watch Creature from the Black Lagoon, which we all own. And then I watch it. We can't show the film on Twitch, it will be like we crashed Derek's house and watched it with him. Derek would have a great audio commentary for us. That could be a lot of fun. Uh, I've always... Well, I've gotten away from it. But at one point, I really wanted to be one of the guys that got called by Scream Factory or any of the other big companies, Vinegar Syndrome or whoever, when they needed a commentary track. And I tried for years, man. When I was working with Dorado Films, I was going to do a commentary track on an Argo Man release. I probably still have three quarters of that recording done uh, around here somewhere. Um, you know, I reached out to fellow podcasters who had had deals doing commentary tracks for people and they tried to put me in contact with people and it just never worked. And I kind of lost my oom for it. And now there's so much out there that's been done. Um, I don't know if there's anything left that I could do an audio, audio commentary for, but I'd love to get in, involved doing audio commentaries. I think it'd be a blast. At one point I was just going to do them because anyway. Um, but yeah. So if anybody has any connections or, or uh, any uh, hookups for old Brother D to do an audio commentary track on a DVD or Blu-ray, let me know, huh? Hook me up. Hook your brother up. <laughs> I do like the, the movie club idea and I do love the uh, watching something together idea. Uh, let's see some comments about Wednesday, not my cat, but the TV show by Tim Burton on Netflix. Haven't watched it either. I don't think I'm in the target audience for that. Plus I accidentally stumbled into a weird rabbit hole, um, criticizing Tim Burton's lack of diversity in his films and such. And I don't want to get into it right now, but whether it was accurate or not, some of the things that were said, it kind of colored my anticipation for Wednesday. So maybe I'll get to it at some point, but I'll hold off for now. Giant Behemoth has a terrible commentary. We could replace that one. Um, did one of our friends do that, Steve? Did we just throw some shade at one of our friends? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> or, or maybe it was something that he did for fun. I could have swore Rod, Rod Barnett was involved in a commentary track for that. I could be wrong. And I, I, know, I know you're not throwing shade at anybody. Um, Just kind of teasing a little bit. And I know that some podcasters and some people have released audio commentary tracks uh, on platforms like Bandcamp or even just released them as podcasts. So, I mean, I'm not restricted from doing that. And maybe that's what I need to do. Um, Maybe that's what I need to do, is I just need to do an audio commentary track or two and put it out there to make it available to kind of show off what I do. But at this point, with physical media continuing its decline in popularity, I don't know. It'd be fun to do, but... um, People doing commentary tracks that hate the film. That's one thing that I've noticed. Is that while you might have somebody who really knows a lot about the production of a movie, it can sometimes be hard if they don't have an equal love for the movie. And that's something that I've always tried to do on Monster Kid Radio, is whenever we talk about a movie, I want to celebrate the fun parts of it, the fandom of it. You know, if somebody enjoys a movie, let's talk about that. Every movie is somebody's favorite except Fun in Land, And, you know, (laughs) I just, I I, want to celebrate that part of it. And I want to bring that energy and enthusiasm to doing a commentary track. Um, I know some of the big names in classic film scholarship, including somebody who did uh, a heck of a tome about the parallel careers of Karloff and Lugosi. While it's presented on its surface as, um, as an equal kind of journey on Karloff and Lugosi's career, it's clear that the author has a bias. And it's like, yeah, I, I understand having a bias and all that, but you know, let's celebrate this stuff. Celebrate this stuff. Even Manos has its fans. You're darn right, it does. I'm one of them. I love Manos: The Hands of Fate. I don't know if she's still watching right now. Cause I know that Beth had a lot going on tonight, but Beth uh, has still not watched it. I've still not shown it to her. Um, I'd still like to. We've joked about me having um, a robe, a Manos robe made at some point. I still would love to have that done. I am so jealous of Steve. Cause I know you have one Beth at some point, honey, we're going to have to watch Manos the Hands of Fate. Ah, oh, Monos. I love me some Monos. Look at the Monos love in here. Look at the Monos love. Okay, so I've got an email uh, I'm going to read. This is from Chris S. This came in uh, about a week and a half ago. Hi, Derek. I just wanted to send you an email thanking you for the podcast and all you do for us Monster Kids. I loved watching classic, and more often than not, not not-so-classic and sci-fi films when I was a teen, but gradually moved away from them as I got older. A while back, I discovered the podcast, and listening to it helped reignite the love I had for those films. Watching old favorites and ones I've learned about from the podcast has brought a joy into my life, and I'm very grateful to you for it. Well, Chris, thank you. Thank you for listening, and thank you for sharing that. That's part of the reason why I do what I do, man, so thank you. Uh, He continues. Oh, yeah, I got a little spicy a couple weeks ago uh, with Chris McMillan. Some hot takes, so to speak. As to the question from the most recent podcast about whether The Nightmare Before Christmas is a Halloween or Christmas movie. I tend to think it's more Christmas than anything. The This Is Halloween song is a good Halloween song, but in my opinion, the bulk of the film is squarely in the Christmas camp, though I'm fine with however people choose to enjoy it. In closing, thank you again for all you do. Congratulations on the engagement, and I hope your COVID recovery continues to go well, Chris. Chris, thank you for writing in. If you want to write in and be cool like Chris, shoot me an email at monsterkidradio at gmail.com. Yeah, so we we got a little, um, I got a little spicy about Nightmare Before Christmas, and I think what prompted that was I was working at Scaregrounds PDX, the haunted house, in the month of October, and it is inside Oaks Park Amusement Park that has a PA system playing music all night long. And at some point, the music's channel got bumped from, like, Halloween Party, whatever, to um, a Nightmare Before Christmas-centric channel. And all this Christmas stuff started being, into Halloween, and I got super defensive about it, so whatever. Anyway. Can a time before Christmas be a Halloween and a Christmas movie? No. No. Of course it can be. Watch it whenever you want. If it makes you happy, it makes you happy. What did I say a little bit ago? Every movie is somebody's favorite, and I don't want to be that guy. I did get accused of gatekeeping Halloween when I made a comment about it on Facebook, and my buddy Mike was absolutely right. I was kind of gatekeeping Halloween, and that's not my place. So enjoy the movie. I'm never going to put it on to celebrate Halloween. I might play the song "This Is Halloween" to celebrate Halloween at some point, but as I said back a couple weeks ago, I don't feel like that song is strong enough to be divorced from the film to be enjoyed by itself apart from the film, without making you thinking about the film. So that's just my take on it, though. Enjoy the movie. Enjoy the movie. Let's see. I'm watching Monos this week for the first time. Oh. <laughs> Tom, you're in for a treat. I hope we're still friends afterwards. God, you queen. Good to see you, Derek. Good to see you too, man. See, okay. My best self just posted in the chat. I have an idea. Since it's going to be super cold, this excuse me, stupid cold this weekend, let's build a blanket fort and watch Manos. This, ladies and gentlemen, is one of the many reasons why I know that I have found the perfect partner, the most amazing woman in the world. And I am the luckiest man on this planet. Look at her. Look at that. (laughs) Beth is a genius. I'm on my way. I'm guessing I'm invited. (laughs) Oh man, that'd be awesome. Think you can bring uh, your fiance along, Tom? Uh, let's see, you shouldn't be playing that music at a Halloween attraction unless you're Disney. Um, yeah, I mean, again, enjoy it if you can. I'm still trying to figure out how to create a real Pandora music station. Uh, not one that they auto generate for you, but an actual Pandora page, uh, radio station so that for Scaregrounds PDX next year, I can go to the guest services booth and ask them to play a particular channel that I've curated and put together because there's some amazing Halloween music out there. Um, That would be a lot of fun to play. And actually, that's something. Let's talk about it here. Let's talk about some future things for Monster Kid Radio. Let me know if this is something that you'd be interested in. Let's sound off in the chat. I don't know if Pandora is really going to be the option because I haven't figured out how to create an actual real Pandora station. That's not just an auto-generated collection of suggestions for you. But back in the day, when I first launched Monster Kid Radio, I had a Live 365 channel where I played music. Um, now, Live 365 went bankrupt, got picked up by somebody else, it's now owned by somebody completely different, and they have a completely different business model. So I don't know if they're really the option to go with. But back then, you could have a totally free radio station on Live 365 that somebody could tune into, and the listeners had to listen to ads every once in a while. Or they could pay Live365 a couple bucks a month to just get an ad free. I got to put together the playlist. I could put in anything that I wanted. Live365 Live would actually already, through the money they made from advertising, pay the various royalties and licensing fees or whatever to the big recording groups so that you could play whatever you wanted. Right? That was awesome. I would love to do something similar again but I'm having a really hard time finding an outlet or, or a platform for something like that. Spotify, Apple playlist. Um, I could curate a list on YouTube as a playlist as well. Hmm. The YouTube playlist could work too. I suppose YouTube really is kind of a thing. Um, YouTube would also copyright strike the heck out of it. Spotify, I'll look into Spotify, I don't know about an Apple playlist. But even in a situation like that, I'm kind of restricted to what music they have on file. Whereas I would want to, getting permission of course, upload some of my favorite surf music from the various surf bands that I've played over the years on Monster Kid Radio. That sort of thing. Um. Plex might be an option. But could somebody tune into Plex even though they aren't paying the the fee to use Plex? Plex is a server. Oh, and the mashups. So I already have like 13 years worth of Halloween music mashups that I've been given permission to play on various podcasts over the years that are amazing. I can make some of my own as well. That'd be so much fun and then create custom audio content for a radio station. If anybody knows how to do that, let me know, man. Cause I would like to figure it out. Uh, I, I have found some places that might let me do something similar, but it's overly complicated to get set up involves a lot of stuff that I don't understand. And there are a lot of fees involved. Hmm. Plex is free for guests to access servers. Maybe I could do it on Mim's Drive-In Monsters channel. My suspicion is, based on my very limited experience trying to put together a Roku channel, is that Roku doesn't sit... Oh, actually, you know, I haven't watched... I'm a bad friend. I haven't watched Mim's Roku channel in a while, so I don't know how his is set up. But you can set up a free Roku channel, but the thing is, is that the video content has to be stored somewhere else. Roku doesn't store it, they become the streaming platform and usually most people post those, the videos at archive.org um, and then create and make them a hidden file. So you can't find them normally. Um, that's how I did the 1951 downplace podcast, by the way, Is I all the audio files, if you go looking for 1951 downplace, the podcast, it's on archive.org, by the way, <laughs> all that stuff is there. Um, but again, to upload something on archive, or Vimeo, there's the copyright issue again. But I do like the idea of a Plex option. I really like the idea of a Plex option. And I know there are some content creators out there that have used a Patreon level as a way to give somebody access to a Plex stream or or, our library. So maybe that's what I do. Something to think about. If I can find the tunes on YouTube, I can just pull them into my list, which then, yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, I want to see Tom. I want to see you dance uh, through a haunted house. Uh, I'm not really a big fan of things being jumped out at me in a haunted house kind of scenario, but I would uh I would certainly do that to watch you do that. Can I post the link to purchase my shirt? There's not a link because it's all kind of done old school. That way. Uh just make sure you send me your address and your size. I suppose I should have put that in the graphic, huh? Um uh-huh. <laughs> let's see I wonder if I can do that on the fly fix that on the fly
8: see what happens. There we go.
0: Am I still selling monster kid radio pins? Um, I might be out of them, but if I have any left, I'll make a, I'll make sure I make note of that somewhere. Um, I, I don't know where any are, if I do have any. Um, so my apologies for that. And also, you know, since we're talking about some money-making stuff, I'll go ahead and I'll mention. If you follow me on Facebook or Twitter, you know that I've been a busy, busy boy posting more magazines and DVDs and Blu-rays on eBay as of late. I'll put a a link in the chat for that. And while I'm doing that, I'm going to play another voicemail from Captain Billy.
8: Hey, Derek. Hey, group. Captain Billy here. I just, and I'm as in,
9: I mean, I'm sitting in the parking lot in my car. I just walked out of the uh, 3D Dawn of the Dead. Uh, it is 322 on the East Coast. So I was, like I said, fresh in my brain. That's why I wanted to call it immediately before I forget everything. Uh, the 3D, well, I mean, we all know the movie it appears to be the general issue prince. As opposed to one of the re-edits, I know there's at least four different versions of the versions of the movie. It appears to be the original American edit, as I remember it. I haven't watched this movie probably since the 90s at some point. But uh, everything that was there that I remember being there. Actually, there was a couple extra scenes I didn't remember, but uh, I won't go into that. I'm going to talk about the 3D conversion. It appears to be a Korean group. I don't know the who and the why and the how. It started up. They did not give you a warning about putting the 3D glasses on, so the trailers ended, and I thought I was going to get a warning. Or Usually, you get a 3D trailer right before the movie starts. I, that didn't happen. So I kind of threw it on. So they showed the name of the company that did the conversion. I don't remember who it is. I'm sure somebody out there can look up on the Internet. Um, but briefly, it was a good conversion I had, for the first third of the film, as in not the uh, – of each scene, not the first third of the movie, each scene, about the third of the way of the depth. Worked real good. Once you got it further back, scenes that went further back, like us the long shots inside the department stores, you lost that depth of field, uh, like on shelving units and that kind of thing. So it worked to, like the, the things that are in the immediate foreground, you had two or three layers of depth, and it was really good. I mean, especially like the opening credits and some of the stuff were blood flies in the screen or glass flies in the screen. That was really excellent. But once you got past that third of the way in, five, six, eight feet uh, film-wise, stuff in the background flattened out uh, i only noticed this because if you go see tight Ty- if you had seen titanic in 3d because i'm just talking about 3d movies the field the depth of field was amazing in that film that stuff went all the way back all the way down everything was in 3d all the way to the back of every shot so so i noticed that that it only worked out and the other thing i noticed that was weird there were certain scenes that were just out of focus uh, where uh, Roger, the blonde SWAT member, is trapped between the trucks and he starts shooting zombies, that scene's out of focus. It's going for like 10 or 15 seconds, but it's out of focus. And then the major scene is at the end of the movie, uh, one of the gang members, is, he gets shot as he's leaving the mall on a motorcycle and about a dozen zombies surround him and he starts getting his gun out or starts fighting them. That entire 8, 10, 15 seconds is just completely out of focus. And I don't remember anything like that. So these out-of-focus scenes is the only thing that really struck me as weird. So, But again, it's Dawn of the Dead. A good time is had by all. So, Derek, have a great show. Keep up the good work. Thanks again. I'll talk to you later.
0: Okay, so I did actually get a chance to see the original Dawn of the Dead in 3D during that 3D run. I did not realize it was going to be showing for more than once. I thought it was going to be like one of those fandom events where it's just like a one-and-done deal. Uh, I actually had an opportunity to see it. Unfortunately... Um, I started to feel bad about halfway through, like I started to feel a tickle in the back of my throat. And I thought that maybe I just has a piece of popcorn stuck in my throat when I was watching it. And, uh, I thought, well, if I just have like a piece of popcorn stuck in there, I just need to eat something or drink some more soda or something to kind of wash it down or whatever. So I went and got a refill <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's, that was the start of my COVID. But that said, there's hardly anybody in the theater. I was in a very big bubble. Very few people there. Nobody around me. There was a very sharply dressed man, older gentleman, older than me, gentleman, um, trench coat, fedora, just looking like he was out out of the town, going to watch Dawn of the Dead in 3D. Don't talk about Dawn of the Dead in 3D. Don't talk about Dawn of the Dead on Moxie Kid Radio much at all. But my previous life as a podcaster was with Mail Order Zombie, where I did do zombie movies. I can count four movies that have elevated themselves to be more than just movies for me. They become pieces of artwork that speak to me on a level beyond the fiction that I'm seeing on screen. Dawn of the Dead is one of them. Uh, Romero's Night Riders is another one. Um, Cloud Atlas and Conan the Barbarian are the other two. Uh, I do enjoy them as stories, but they've—they've—they are movies that teach me something new about myself every time I see them. They—they they have really become more than just ninety to one hundred twenty minutes of flickering lights on the screen for me. Um, it was—it was awesome to see Dawn of the Dead on the big screen. It's one that I had never seen on the big screen. I'd seen Night on the, on the big screen at The Joy, I'm sure. Uh, I saw Day of the Dead on the big screen at a Zompire Film Festival. Um, and I saw Land of the Dead uh, as well. Um, Diary and Document I did not see on the big screen, but eh. Actually, I take that back, I did see Diary on the big screen. And Document wasn't the other one. Survival, that was it. I don't remember. Anyway. Uh, but to see Dawn of the Dead on the big screen was pretty amazing. I didn't have the same problems with the 3D. For me, the 3D effects just kind of fell away. They really didn't add anything to the movie. Sure, there's that one shot where a zombie's head gets exploded uh, during the uh, tenement raid scene where Wooly kind of loses his mind and starts shooting people. Sure, that might have been neat to see in 3D, but it was just a flash-in-the-pan gimmick, whatever. The rest of it didn't really matter. It was a little dark, but I'm told that a lot of 3D movies sometimes do play a little dark if... They, the projectionist isn't careful. I didn't have a go of focus or anything like that for me. I didn't have that problem. Um, but yeah, I had, a grand, I had a grand time. And I was so thrilled to see it. So thrilled. So thrilled to see it. Um it made me very happy. <laughs> Dawn of the Dead means a lot to me. Um, Dawn of the Dead is one of the movies that finally made it make sense to me that movies sometimes are shot out of order. That editing is a thing. I had known this before I saw Dawn of the Dead, because I I had dreams of becoming a filmmaker as early as grade school. And I didn't see Dawn of the Dead until high school. But there's a sequence where the survivors are in the uh, upper uh, offices of the mall, and they're talking, and one character has a bottle of alcohol of liquor might have been whiskey i don't remember and tosses um it to the other character in this another character in the scene who's off camera and watching that finally made things click for me that they set up the camera they had the guy toss the camera off camera they moved the camera they rearranged the camera, got the guy set up on the other side and had him catch it from somebody tossing it off camera. And they might not have even shot it sequentially. They might have shot it on a separate days for all I know. But for whatever reason, that made it make sense. That taught me how to edit film. <laughs> um, I tried to express this to George Romero himself when I met him at a horror hound weekend. Instead, what came out of my mouth was, "Night Riders is my favorite movie. That's about all I could say to the man, because I was in such awe of being around George Romero. Because that man, his films, to me, say more about people and society than any other filmmaker working of his generation. There may be other people, other filmmakers, that have that effect on folks, but for me, Romero's the guy. Uh, Let's see... I still haven't seen um, the Jason Momoa Conan. Just never got around to it. It it just didn't look like it appealed to me. It looked like a CGI fest. And go back to what I said at the very beginning of all this about uh, CGI films just, for the most part, not doing it for me the way, knowing that there was somebody in a suit or somebody who built something on screen being grand. Uh, Let's see origins let's see we're talking about origins oh yeah conan being an origin story and beth is right this shirt perfect valentine's day gift folks (laughs) so what else should we talk about this is ask d anything questions about the podcast questions about monster movies questions about well me what, what else do you want to know? What else you want to talk about? Ask away, tell you what, while you're working on your questions, let's go and play the final voicemail that I have from Captain Billy.
8: Hey, Derek. Hey, group. Captain Billy here.
9: Congratulations on your 600th. I was going to wish you another 600th more, but like, nah, you might not want to do 600 more. I don't know, man. You know, Six hundred twenty. Another 100. We all look forward to number 700. There, that sound? So uh, he said, it's ask Derek anything?" All right, I got a question. This goes back, I think, the last year or the year before. Um, you had a poll question that came up: three favorite hammers, three favorite Godzillas, three favorite Universals. I left my answers, and I think you mentioned. I don't know if you mentioned it again. Was this was this as a joke, just to fool Captain Billy? Is that what it was? So. So I don't know what happened to that poll, and I'm all for it. If to fire it up again, I'll call in with another three uh, or another nine appropriate responses. So, And my comment, I just, you you mentioned Rocky Horror, and if somebody mentions Rocky Horror, I got to call in. You said you don't care for it, don't appreciate it, whatever, I don't know exactly your wording was, but the only thing I can think is if you have not, se- I assume you have not seen this movie with a proper audience. If you the movie itself, meh, good songs. I will, you know, stand on that hill and you know fight that cause. Those are good songs in that movie, especially if you're into the movie. But the point is, the film itself meh, and the ending with the floor show nobody can explain that. I don't know if Richard O'Brien. Can Hello there,
5: Monster Kid Radio
9: So the movie's okay, but it's the experience of seeing it with a crowd and live performers in front of the screen that's where the fun comes in. That's when I fell in love with Rocky Horror. I know how you feel about people talking back to the screen. We've had that discussion in the past. and Not going to bring it up now. So, so anyway, Derek, go see with a real crowd. Look it up. Take the drive. Book a hotel room. I'm telling you. See with a real crowd. You'll appreciate it. Great show
8: as always. Keep up the good work. I'll talk to you later.
0: Uh, Sorry about that bit from Kenny interrupting there. Uh, We're going to play something from him shortly. Um, This wasn't planned. So this works as a good segue. Oh, Rocky horror picture show. First and only time that I saw it was when I was working at the procrastinator theater, which was the student run movie theater on the campus of montana state university when i was there uh, as a film school student Uh, part of my financial aid was work study and i was fortunate enough to get a work study job working at the procrastinator theater as a projectionist so i got to see rocky horror picture show with a college audience uh, with performers on stage and everything they wrecked the theater we got in a lot of trouble for that But, I mean, they did everything they were supposed to do with the water guns and the toasts and everything else. And uh, They had had candles on stage. They weren't supposed to have candles on stage. All sorts of fire code violations and got hot wax all over a bunch of carpet, which did not go over well. But anyway, maybe that colored my appreciation, or or lack thereof, of Rocky Horror Picture Show. Maybe I just need to be in the right mindset to watch it again. Maybe it's one of those situations where I find myself backing away from something that everybody loves because I want to find something that not as many people love going back to what I said earlier I don't know um, I'd be willing to give it a second shot I'd be willing to say I'd be willing to watch it again let's see. Violent Night just came out. You're curious about that. I've been hearing good things about it, and I like David Harbour. Um, I did not watch his Hellboy, but I love him in Stranger Things. So, let's see. Can you tell us more about that time you were inspired by the Insane Clown Posse and wanted to be a rapper? One, I was never inspired by the Insane Clown Posse. I thought I was going to be a rapper when I grew up at one point as well. Um... In fact, I was a good little church-going boy and was a rapper for my church youth group. Um, Long before the movie Sister Act 2 came out, and they used this in one of their performances, I did a version of You Down With OPP by Naughty by Nature called "Are You Down With G-O-D. Yeah, I did that. Um, And then I kind of moved on and you know, rap rap has always been something that I love, especially nowadays when nerdcore nord excuse me, nerdcore rap is such a thing. Um I wouldn't mind getting back into it. Maybe sometime next year. I did own the first four ICP albums. I thought their production was incredible. They were rappers that used a lot of dark themes and had some really cool music. The lyrics didn't do as much for me but the the beats and and such, the production, was top-notch. I haven't listened to them regularly in a long, long time. Copyright question. I'm going through and watching three-star movies available streaming and find a lot of 20th Century Fox films before 1965 freely available on YouTube. I know Disney owns Fox. Are they okay with that? Do they not care? Are they just releasing the library? That comes from Kenny. So my limited understanding of copyright law, I'd like to know. I'd like to think I know some of them. I've done a lot of research. Um, Most of the big companies have a deal with YouTube where YouTube algorithms are able to detect visual or audio elements of a YouTube video uh, that belong to somebody else. And my understanding of how it works is. In this automated situation, YouTube has to have access to the original so they can compare like using their technology, whatever it is they do. And I'm sure Disney has uploaded a lot of their stuff. Try uploading anything with anything that looks similar to the Disney logo, the castle with the Tinkerbell fireworks, whatever, going around it, uh, to YouTube or Facebook, whatever, and it's going to get shut down immediately because it immediately comes back as a a Disney thing. Disney owns 20th Century Fox, or 20th Century at this point, which still sounds weird to say. Um, If it's pre-1965, I know the copyright rules were a little different at that point. Uh, So depending on the copyright status, maybe Disney's not going after them. Or maybe, I don't know. When I worked at Dorado Films, one of my jobs was to cruise the internet, cruise YouTube, and look for people posting our movies. Uh, Because Dorado Films did not have that deal with YouTube. So we had to manually submit claims and get things taken down. So maybe Disney is still working through the back catalog of 20th century films to make that happen. I don't know. I really don't know. I do know that YouTube sometimes looks like the Wild Wild West when it comes to copyright. Um, You will find copyrighted material on YouTube, Archive.org, Vimeo, and a number of other video sharing websites or video streaming websites. Just because they're online doesn't mean they're in the public domain, so it's always a good idea to check. But pre-1965, copyright rules were a little bit different. And speaking of copyright rules, January 1st, Public Domain Day, 1923 is, the, I believe, is it 1923 the new cutoff? I think that's the new cutoff, right? So I'm going to be going back and looking to see what's out there that we can now show on the stream. It's going to be a bunch of silent films, but we like silent films around here, right? that are now in the public domain or will be in the public domain. Uh, Does Rocky Horror Picture Show uh, play in the Portland area? I believe the Clinton Street Theater still shows it every Saturday. I think even during COVID, they had somebody coming in and showing it. Maybe not to anybody, but they would actually go in and play it because they didn't want to lose their streak. Um, So, yeah. A lot of white boys thought they were going to be famous rappers at some day, at some point. Well, I wasn't planning to be famous. If he raps at New Year's Eve, I promise to take video. Beth and I are going to a New Year's Eve party with some theater people, and there's promises of karaoke. And uh, if I know anything about karaoke, there will be at least one Beastie Boys song available. Probably Ice Ice Baby. Maybe a Run-DMC song. So I will drop the mic then. Nerdcore Rap Sudden Death, Tom Rockwell, and Warm Quartet. I don't know those guys. I'll have to take that out. Check that out. Yeah. Um, For Nerdcore Rap, I'm a big fan of Schaefer the Dark Lord. Really like what he does. Um, So I'd suggest that if you're interested in that sort of thing. What's the deal with archive.org? It's supposed, to, Yeah, so ideally, they're only supposed to show or, or host non-copyrighted stuff or stuff that the copyright owners have given permission to host there. Um, but they don't have a very good policing system in place. 1927, that's the year. That's the year. Dice, dice, baby. Yeah, you know. <laughs> uh, Andy Campbell. You know what? If you can stay tuned, I'll put the picture up again, but first kind of leading into something that Captain Billy talked about. I've got uh, a video from Kenny. <laughs> um I will answer that question first. So Tom Doffel, is there an IMDB rating that's too high for you when you look up a film before you watch it? No, I rarely look at IMDB ratings. So, all right, let's uh, bring in this video that I have from Kenny. This is an older video. Um, because as Captain Billy said at one point I did see, let's li- li- do a poll, top three hammering universal kaiju and all that. Kenny put together a video and then I never did anything with it. I kind of dropped the ball. So Kenny, uh, so I add the ball and pass it to me again.
5: hello there monster kid radio hits this is Kenny with a look at my top threes <laughs> number three. Tarantula. I know this isn't often considered amongst the normal humanoid monsters, but it is a universal film released in the same sci-fi phase that Creature was. So why not? I love giant monster movies, and this is one of the best. It was my first movie I saw on Bob Wilkins' Creature Features May 11th, 1974. It's got keen special effects and a cool subplot with the Rondo Hatton disease. No one can say the real name like the awesome Agar. Number two. It's
6: alive.
1: It's alive. It's alive. It's moving. It's alive. It's alive. It's alive. It's alive. It's alive. It's alive.
5: Frankenstein. One of my first monster movies I saw on San Antonio's Project Terror. It influenced my life and holds a lot of nostalgia for me. I just recently re-watched it with my daughter and it is creaky in parts, but its top scenes hold up. I honestly believe Bride is a better film, but I saw it later in life and didn't attach to my brain like Frankenstein did. It was Frankenstein on the cover that led me to buy my first FM. Number 1.
1: Here we go gathering nuts in May, nuts in May, nuts in May. Here we go gathering nuts in May on a cold and frosty morning. Whoops!
5: The The Invisible Man. Man. Of all the Universal classics, this one holds up best for me. Loved it as a kid, find it perfect as an adult. Rain's vocal performance is fabulous at presenting a mad doctor, totally loopy. The presence of my girl, Una O'Connor, provides comic relief, which blends in with the fear generated wonderfully. And the special effects are superb. Hammer Films, number three. Horror of Dracula. This film scared me as a kid, and I still consider it my favorite Dracula film. Lee and Cushing are fantastic. The Lucy scene in the graveyard and the thrilling final still creep me out to this day. Number two. Captain Kronos, Vampire Hunter. This film was released at the height of my monster kiddom on a double bill with Frankenstein and the monster from hell. The newspaper ad showed a sword-wielding hero slashing at vampires. I have always loved swashbucklers and sword fights in movies, and this looked perfect. Only one problem. It was rated R. No good for 10-year-old Kenny. I had to wait over 30 years to see this film, which I bought at the 2006 Monster Bash on VHS. It did not disappoint. I love the atmosphere, the twisting of the standard vampire rules, and the sword fights. And of course, Caroline and great music help as well. Number One One Million Years B.C. Harryhausen and Rick Hill. Need I say more? Fantastic scenery, fabulous dinosaurs, unusual but moving score, and a goatskin bikini. I forget that this is a hammer film at times because it is so different from the normal gothic fare, but it is, and it is my favorite hammer film. The impaling of the allosaur is one of my all-time favorite movie shots. Kaiju I'm limiting this to Japanese kaiju and it is all Showa because it is all nostalgia for me. These were shown often on Creature Features in its Saturday Afternoon Sister Chiller Theater and these three were the most memorable for me. Number 3. Godzilla vs. the Sea Monster This oft-repeated island Godzilla film holds a special place in my heart. Plenty of action and great scenery keep it fun throughout. Number 2. I saw this on a double bill with Corman's The Terror when I was seven years old and loved it. The aliens creeped me out, and the immense amount of monsters raised the cool quotient.
8: Number one
5: Godzilla vs. The Fane. This was also shown often during my childhood. I love the peanuts and the mothra theme, and Evil Godzilla has never looked better. His entrance from underground is my favorite scene in any kaiju. That is my top three for this week. We'll have more soon. For MKR, this is Kenny saying adios.
0: okay so uh yeah let's talk about that let's get into this a little bit so we have top three of various uh film categories see some comments coming up in the chat talking about the black cat and the invisible man oh that's a good one too both of those are great quater mass in the pit godzilla versus the sea monster i love godzilla versus the sea monster Derek had an incredibly smart and handsome guest on MKR to talk about Godzilla versus the Sea Monster. Yeah, probably. <laughs> or the gargantuous. Yeah, that's good, too. That's good, too. Um, I, I put together a list. My favorite, Hammer, Universal, and Kaiju films. What would you like to hear first? First, first person to say something in the chat. Let me know. Um, Hammer, Universal, or Kaiju? What do you want to hear first? Let me know in the chat. Universal it is. Thank you, Tom. Got There we go. Universal in chronological order. I didn't figure that part out, although I probably could have thought about it. Universal. Well, y'all know. This is my number one, right? I I mean, I can't not talk about this movie. This is my number one universal horror film, monster film of all time. It's my favorite movie of all time. Creature from the Black Lagoon. It's right up there. Uh, For two, my second favorite Universal, you know, I could go with Tarantula you can go with Revenge of the Creature because I really do love that. Uh, I've got a lot. Every time I watch it, I respect Creature Walks Among Us a little bit more. Love the Dracula and Frankenstein, the ones that started it all, but Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. That'd be my number two. It's uh, the first time we get two of the Universal monsters playing together, and it is, for my money, the best resurrection from the dead scene ever put on film. And I watched over 300 zombie movies in my previous podcast. I've seen a lot of resurrecting from the dead. Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman does it the absolute best. When Larry Talbot returns from the grave in the beginning of that film. Oh, so good. So good. So Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman. And for number three, I bring this up because Steve and I talked about it last week on the podcast. uh, About the Rally Awards. Right now... And this would probably change, you know, maybe next week or even tomorrow, depending on how hard I look at my Universal movie collection. I'm going to put the Monolith Monsters in there. I really like the Monolith Monsters. It's so different. And I know that means that my top three only has one of the so-called gothic Universal films. But I really like the Monolith Monsters. So I'm going to put that in there as my number three. Monolith Monsters rock! Oh, that's a t-shirt. Oh, that's a t-shirt. Oh, I got to design that t-shirt. I can kind of see it in my head right now with like the monoliths on there. Oh. Oh, that's so good. All right. Uh, let's see. Do you want to do Hammer Films? Hammer Films next? Hammer it is. Um, My favorite sequel, one of my absolute favorite sequels of all time is the Revenge of Frankenstein? So that's in there. Uh, my top three. Uh, I love the Revenge of Frankenstein so much. It is a direct continuation of Curse of Frankenstein. Um, absolutely love that it picks up immediately afterwards. I love that Doctor Frankenstein is on a, a different journey in that film than he was in Curse of Frankenstein. Uh, I love what he's doing with the monster, and I love the ending. I absolutely love the ending of Revenge of Frankenstein. So that'd be in there. That may be, you know, that's going to be my number two. And, you know, say what you want to say about it and what Hammer was doing in the 70s, but Dracula 1972 AD is my number three. It's got all the coolness that I want from a 70s horror movie or monster movie. That I didn't get out of vibes. That I didn't get out of a lot of those movies, but Dracula seventy two A D. The music, uh, just does something for me. Dig the music, kids. Oh, I just, I just love it. It's got a great opening sequence, uh, which is you know this the pseudo gothic hammer background, or or, or uh, environment, and then we got all that going on. It's so good, um, oh, so good. I love it. But my number one, and I think I talked about this back on my old Hammer Films podcast. The Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires. Hammer Vampires, Kung Fu, Peter Cushing. I'm in. I'm in. It's, It's my favorite Hammer film. I love all the others. I love Curse, love horror. Captain Kronos, Vampire Hunter, of course, is fantastic. But I love them so much. I love The Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires. Back when I thought I'd be a filmmaker when I grew up, uh, I made a movie at Laramie County Community College. as part of their video production course. The final was to make a mini-movie. My final mini-movie, and I took the class six times, so yeah, my final, final mini-movie was inspired by the role-playing game Chill. Wish I still could find a copy of it. I'm still hopeful it'll turn up someday. And in it, I had Vampires and Zombies. And I'm 100% convinced that I was inspired by Legend of the Golden, or Seven Golden Vampires. Um, because of it. Just love it. But I love the Quatermass films, too. Fear in the Night's one of my favorite modern-ish Hammer films. Modern from the 70s. Um. So, yeah, there's a lot to love there at Hammer. Oh, The Nanny with Betty Davis. Yeah, that's a good one, too. That's a good one, too. All right, let's do kaiju films. I already mentioned it. King Kong versus Godzilla. Right there at the top. Um, but I'm going to tie it with King Kong Escapes. Because I really like King Kong Escapes as well. I have a King Kong Escapes poster in my living room. Uh, I love King Kong Escapes so much. It's got Mechanic Kong. I mean, come on. Mechanic Kong, I think, predates Godzilla, doesn't he? I mean, come on. I absolutely love King Kong vs. Godzilla. Then I'd put Rodan in there as well as my number two. Um, And then my number one would be the movie X, The Thing from Outer Space. Go back to what I said earlier about looking for the movies that don't have the biggest fandoms. Those are the ones that I'm drawn to. And X, The Thing from Outer Space, is the only kaiju movie that that studio did. But I love it. So much. Um, There's a moment in that movie. Where the characters are talking about. How they're going to take care of the monster. And one character says we suggest using nuclear weapons or an atomic bomb or whatever. And another character just has really somber look on his face like no. Never again. And just that moment. Oh just hit me. Um, Yeah I love that movie. It's it's got goofy music but I love it uh just something about the x uh the thing from outer space that i adore so i would uh, put that as my number one yep i said it my number one so we've been chatting for about an hour and a half and i want to go ahead and start bringing this to a close so uh let's go ahead and start wrapping up um Yeah, let's go. I'm just looking at the chat there. Let's go ahead and start wrapping up. Um, thank you for being here. I don't know what's happening on the podcast next week. I, I would love to tell you what's happening in the future on Monster Kid Radio, but I don't know what's happening on the podcast next week. Uh, I'll come up with something, I'm sure. We always do. Maybe we'll do another live thing on Wednesday. Let me know in the comments, in the chats. Shoot me an email at monsterkidradio at gmail.com if this is something that you enjoy doing, uh, doing a live Twitch like this. On Wednesdays, uh, next week's gonna be the week of. I was gonna say week of Christmas, but I guess that's on this weekend. Yeah, I don't know what I'm doing on next week, but yeah, let's let's do something. Um, maybe we'll do another Twitch stream. Yeah. Stay tuned to MonsterKidRadio.net though. That's where we'll announce it, and then of course follow me on Facebook, okay? Uh, at least Monster Kid Radio on Facebook, because that's where we'll announce it. But, yeah, let's go ahead. I'm going to put up the ad for the shirt one more time. And while that's playing, or while that's on the screen, uh, I just want to let everybody know that I appreciate you uh, for being here. Oh, um, so the $35 for the shirt that includes shipping, that's for domestic if uh, for the U.S. If you're elsewhere in the world and you're wanting this shirt, let me know. Shoot me your address, and uh, we'll figure out what the shipping's going to be. It's going to be a little bit more... Than $35, obviously, but we'll figure it out. Okay? Well, thank you so much, Tom Gergenis. Thank you, Derek, for 600 episodes of Amazingness. Thank you for being my monster kids, Dr. Frankenstein, and resurrecting a part of me that had faded. This is something I enjoy so much. I appreciate you. You porcupine, thanks for 600 episodes of MKR. I'm is my favorite channel on Twitch, says Kaiju Queen. You know, we're going to bring back the Twitch stream, the movies that we used to do. I am in the middle of the world's slowest reboot after having gotten COVID and then starting a new job and dealing with that and, and everything else. And it's just now occurring to me that I spelled the wrong word available on that ad there. I'm surprised nobody called me out on it yet. Yeah, let's fix that real quick. Anyway, um, but yeah, thank you for being here. You know, thank you for being part of what we do on Monster Kid Radio. I would like to do more. You know, I want to do more. Um, But I can only do that if you're there to consume it. So please consider subscribing uh, to the podcast, liking the Twitch channel. If you subscribe to the Twitch channel, that makes it easier on me too, because I get like half that money. Uh, That helps support the show. So I just say I appreciate everybody so much. Wednesday, you want to come here? Honey? Wednesday? I swear she's around here somewhere. She just walked in a second ago. Uh Uh-oh. You want to come here? You want to say hi before we call it? Before I turn this off? Come on up. Come on up. Come on up. No. Up. Up. There we go. I'm going to pick you up so people can see you because they were asking about you earlier. Oh, there we go. There's my girl and she's done. Okay. Well, anyway, I tried to get her on camera for a second. <laughs> you got a touch a Wednesday on Wednesday. So, All right. Well, gang, thanks again for being here. Stay loose and stay safe, as I used to say on my old Mail Order Zombie podcast. Ciao, as I say now in honor of the late, great Vincent Tolo. And uh, if you are listening to this as a podcast, stay tuned because I'll do the outro and all that, as I normally do on a podcast. <laughs> Well, thank you for being here. Thank you for being along for the ride, whether this was your first episode or your 600th episode. It's been a pleasure having you here. Thank you for downloading the show. Wherever it is you download the show, if there's a way to give us a vote, a like, a thumbs up, an upvote, whatever, please consider doing so and let people know about Monster Kid Radio. We want to grow the audience and get more people involved in the Monster Kid Radio community. But I can only do that with your help. Send them over to monsterkidradio.net or our Facebook page, our Facebook group, our Twitter, our Discord, our Reddit, our Twitch, our YouTube, our Patreon. Links to all of this you can find at the website, monsterkidradio.net. You're also going to find our contact information over there. Monsterkidradio at gmail.com is the email address. Or if you want to be cool like Captain Billy was in that big extravaganza on Twitch, call and leave us a voicemail at 360-524-2484. Now, the voicemail does have a three-minute limit. Normally, I edit the voicemails together, but because we were doing this live experience, you did hear one of Captain Billy's voicemails kind of chopped up. But that's okay. Don't worry about it. I enjoy audio editing. So feel free to just ramble on. Well, I mean, within reason. And I'll edit everything together to make you sound smooth. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, you can find that over at monsterkidradio.net. Now, I don't expect that anybody's going to be able to buy anything right now online and get it to you by Christmas. But if you got any holiday spending money and you want to help support Monster Kid Radio, please consider using the Amazon affiliate link. Look in our show notes at the website, scroll down, find the Monster Kid Radio Amazon button. It says Monster Kid Radio affiliate link. It's a graphic, so you can't really do a search for it, but it's Frankenstein's monster silhouette marching with the Amazon A in the middle of it. You can't miss it. If you click on that and you shop on Amazon after you click on that, we get like a penny or two off of every purchase that you make that way. It doesn't cost you anything extra. It just takes a penny or two out of Jeff Bezos's pocket. And I think he's got enough. So if you want to help us out without costing anything extra to you, please consider doing so. Also, we have a brand new shirt available. It's a Hawaiian style shirt celebrating the Crestwood house monster books. These books are super important to me. Well, you heard me talk about it during the uh, recording earlier, I'll make sure there's a graphic there, so if you want to buy your own shirt, you can do it that way as well. Of course, there's links to our tea Public shop and everything else we got going on. Plus, the Monster Rally Retro Awards ballot deadline is the end of this month. tinyurl.com slash rallies2022p2. And cast your votes over there, and then probably in January, Steve and I will get together and announce the winners. Maybe even by Twitch. So again, follow us on Twitch. And then, of course, on an episode of Monster Kid Radio as well. Speaking of the future, I don't know what's happening in episode 601 yet. I have some ideas, some things that I might do, depending on time and energy and availability and everything else. So, fingers and tentacles crossed, there will be an episode next week. I just don't know what it will be yet. Stay tuned. I think the best way to kind of keep up with that kind of stuff is Facebook. Either friend me on Facebook or specifically like Monster Kid Radio or join the Monster Kid Radio group. Because I try to announce things there, if anywhere, about what's coming up on future episodes. So stay tuned. Come back in six or seven-ish days. If you do get this before the holidays, happy holidays to you. If you get this after the holidays, I hope you had an amazing holiday season. And uh, everybody had a wonderful time doing whatever it is you do to celebrate or not celebrate whatever holiday you Celebrate or not celebrate? Yeah. Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives 3.0, unported license. My name is Derek Kim Cook. Let's shoot for another let's say at least a hundred episodes, huh? If not more. Ciao. Yeah.